Hi everybody and welcome back to yet another episode of Professor Pastor Paul's Midweek Bible Festival. It was very good to see many of you today at church out on the lawn and thanks to those of you who gave me your good words about my Bible studies here. It's really nice to get feedback because uh, oftentimes for the last year, both here and at the college, I felt like, you know, I was kind of uh, teaching into a vacuum, speaking into a vacuum. So thank you for your feedback. Every word that was said to me about this is greatly valued and gives me a little more uh, energy to keep going. So today we're going to keep going. We're on the sixth week of Easter, sixth already. And we have jumped from the Gospels to the Epistles of John and now to the Acts of the Apostles today. Our passage for this week is Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 48. And it goes like this. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard the Gentiles speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So Peter ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So yes, as I said, this week we moved to Acts. And the story alone requires a little context, because we find ourselves at the tail end of one of the book of Acts' central stories. Pentecost has come and gone, not for us, but for the folks in the story. Saul has been converted, and he and the other apostles are taking the good news beyond Judea to Samaria and to Syria. This week's story takes place in Samaria. Peter is staying with Simon the Tanner, uh, not Simon Peter, obviously. Simon the Tanner uh, house. Simon the Tanner's house is where Peter is staying in Joppa. That's a Sumerian town on the Mediterranean coast, and Peter is there with Simon. And one day, some men visit the house on behalf of a certain Cornelius. Now, Cornelius is a Roman centurion who lives in Caesarea, about 40 miles or so up the coast. And Cornelius wants Peter to return with his men to Caesarea and visit him and his household. Cornelius, a Roman centurion. Peter agrees and even gives the men a meal and the lodging for the night. Cornelius' men, he gives them a meal and lodging for the night, and the next day they set off north for Cornelius' house. Now, we'll time out. We are already in strange territory, for these men are probably Roman citizens. They are certainly Gentiles, certainly uncircumcised, yet Peter is willing 
not only to associate with them and speak with them, but to house them and feed them and to do their bidding. But at this time and place, it is unlawful for any Jew to visit or even associate with a Gentile. Yet Peter disregards this law, disregards the law and opens his door to these men, actually Simon's door. He opens his door to them, allows the Gentiles in, he feeds them, he houses them. He's open to them. Now, there's a reason for Peter's openness. Just before the men had arrived in Joppa to find Peter, Peter had seen a vision. In the vision, Peter had seen the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down. It was being lowered to the ground by four, its four corners. And in the sheet were all kinds of creatures, four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. And the Lord spoke to Peter in this vision and said, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said no, he refused. On account of the creatures being unclean, and unfit to eat. By no means, Lord, I will not, for I have never eaten anything profane or unclean. So, nope, not going to do it. Thanks for asking God, but not going to do it. To do so would break the law. But the Lord replied, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. What God has made clean, you, Peter, must not call profane. Now this whole vision and this whole dialogue happens three times for emphasis. And then Peter comes out of the vision and is left wondering what it meant three times. And he was wondering this very thing, well, the meaning of this vision, even as Cornelius' men arrived at the gate. Well, he solved the problem pretty quickly. He figured out what it meant pretty quickly. He figured out that the Lord had meant that no human is unclean, be they Jew, Gentile, Roman, non-Roman. He says, Peter says, God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. And he says this to Cornelius upon being greeted and welcomed into the centurion's home. And is, this is the reason, because of a vision, that he came to Cornelius' house and housed Cornelius' men, ate with them without objection. So Cornelius says, tell us what you have to tell us. Peter was there with some of his friends, some of the apostles. Cornelius was there with his whole household. And Cornelius says to Peter, give us the news. So Peter begins to tell Cornelius and his household the story of Jesus, of his baptism by John, of his ministry, of his miraculous deeds, of his words. Peter tells them of his trial and Jesus' death and of his resurrection appearances. 
He's telling the Jesus story. He's sharing the good news. And our text picks up here. This is where our text kicks in. While Peter was still speaking, it reads, While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The Holy Spirit fell upon everybody in Cornelius' household. What new thing is this? The Holy Spirit being poured out even on the Gentiles? Yes, indeed it is. And clearly, no one can withhold the water of baptism for those who have already been baptized by the Holy Spirit. So Peter sees to it that everyone in the house of Cornelius is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Cornelius the Roman, Cornelius the Gentile, Cornelius the uncircumcised, Cornelius the profane, the unclean, have been made clean. These baptisms, of course, were a deeply radical and destabilizing move on the part of Peter. And for that matter, these baptisms were a radical and destabilizing move on the part of the Holy Spirit. Many in the church were opposed to this embrace of Gentiles, to Peter's openness to not only visiting Gentiles, but to baptizing them. And in the verses immediately following our passage, the very next chapter, the immediate next verses, the church in Jerusalem takes Peter to task and demands an explanation, not only for the baptism of the Gentiles, but for the apostles' decision to even welcome them in and to go with them and visit Cornelius in the first place. How can you do this? It is against the law. Change is always opposed, friends, always. Even when it is done at the bidding of the Spirit, and perhaps it is opposed especially when change is done at the, at the bidding of the Spirit. But you know, perhaps no one should have been so surprised. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes, says Jesus to Nicodemus in John 3, 8. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. Neither Peter, nor the Jerusalem church, nor we ourselves in 21st century Decatur can control the movement of the Holy Spirit, though we would often like to. We have a control thing. We would often prefer to keep the Spirit confined to the inside of our churches or perhaps even our homes, but this will not do. The Spirit is living, it is worldwide, and it is even cosmic. The Holy Spirit will mock whatever walls we try to erect between ourselves and others. It will slip between our fingers. The Holy Spirit will find a way. However, we try to keep it from reaching others, whether they are in the church or not, whether they are religious or not, whether they say, Lord, Lord, or do not, the Spirit will find a way. The Spirit will reach them. It is not ours to control the Spirit, but merely to accept the invitation to join in its perpetual, creative, always unfolding work. 
The Spirit, you'll remember, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God was working at the first moment of creation when it blew over the waters of the chaotic primordial deep. It was working when it called Abraham to leave his home and journey to a good and broad land. The Spirit led Moses and the Israelites out of Egypt and set David on his throne. It inspired the law and the poets and the prophets. And it arrived in the form of Jesus of Nazareth. And from there it blew through Rome and to the furthest reaches of the earth. And the Spirit is alive and working today. But it is not always comfortable. Sometimes it breaks rules. Let us always be on the lookout for the Spirit inside and outside the church, over and beyond us, over and beyond us and our religious formulas. For it is the Spirit of God, the wild and undomesticated and rule-breaking Holy Spirit, and not us alone and on our own, that animates, moves, and saves. Thanks be to God. I'll see y'all next week. Hope you have a good one.